This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. The kind of experience you can only find in a Lexus SUV. A feeling this empowering is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the versatility of the complete line of Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. It is a chilly morning on January 15, 2007. The fifth grade classroom slowly begins to fill with students who didn't pay much attention to the extra adults that had come in to join them. All that mattered to the 10 and 11-year-olds was the promise of cookies that would somehow tie into their lessons for the day. Napkins were carefully placed in each desk, and soon, followed by two large cookies that were the color of brown sugar. As the children began to taste the peculiar cookies, they were told that they were made of molasses, a thick, dark syrup made during the sugar-making process. The teacher brought out a cart with different types of molasses and showed the students how the syrup dripped and seemed to go more slowly than the maple syrup they had earlier in the school year the previous fall. While the cookies were tasty and the different textures of the molasses was interesting to look at, what the teacher truly wanted to discuss was the Great Molasses Flood of 1918, which had happened 88 years prior to that January winter day. Boston, Massachusetts is a town steeped in American history. In the years of the colonies, Boston became a prosperous trade town with ports and a heavy traffic of trade. However, when the British Parliament passed the Molasses Act of 1733, which levied taxes on molasses, the city's politicians and clergymen began to cry for no taxation without representation. The city of Boston is the birthplace of American freedom. In 1770, British troops fired upon a mob of colonists, killing five in the Boston Massacre, setting fire to the kindling of anti-British sentiment that began to fan the flames of revolution. Only three years later, when the 1773 Tea Act was levied, that the famous Sons of Liberty staged the Boston Tea Party. Many key events of the Revolutionary War happened in or around the town, including Paul Revere's famous ride. Boston winters were cold, and in January 1918, 
It was a cold day indeed. Molasses, the very item text that would lead to the famous cry about representation, is an interesting commodity. The syrupy molasses can be distilled into industrial alcohol or ethanol to produce gunpowder and military explosives, a product needed in the Revolution and World War I, which America had entered in 1917. Molasses is essential in the production of rum and weaponry, but it is also a sort of sugar substitute that can create sweet treats that are more accessible to underage stomachs, such as the molasses cookies given to children when learning about the following events. The Purity Distilling Company had built the tank in the densely populated North End neighborhood of Boston in 1915, the year America would enter World War I and increased need for industrial alcohol had to be filled. 97% of the area was home to Italian and Irish immigrants, many of whom could not vote for political power to oppose the building of the tank. The tank itself had a diameter of 90 feet and was 50 feet tall, the height of a 50-story apartment building. At full capacity, it could hold 2.5 million gallons of molasses. Sadly, the Purity Distilling Company rushed the building process, as they had already ordered the molasses to fill the tank, and construction faced an unexpected delay. The company could either lose money by the molasses being dumped into the harbor, or rush construction in order to accommodate the supply, and begin production on the much-needed industrial alcohol for the war effort. Construction was completed on New Year's Eve, 1915, just in time for the arrival of the molasses shipment. However, this also meant there was no time to inspect the haphazardly created tank. The molasses leaked so often into the street nearby that residents could occasionally go to skim some excess for themselves. Instead of repairing the tank, the company simply painted the tank so that the leaks could be more vividly noticeable. The tanks would groan when filled to capacity as the metal strained to hold its contents. The residents of the North End simply grew used to the rumbling and metallic creaks coming from the tank. It's possible that the coming disaster could have been prevented, as an employee of the United States Industrial Alcohol warned his employers that the tank was structurally unsound. However, the company took little action. If they had, perhaps the flood might have never happened at all. But just days before disaster struck, a fresh load of warm molasses was delivered and poured into the tank, mixing with the remaining cold molasses from the last shipment, which caused gases to form. The tank was filled to near capacity, but the two thin walls of the tank could not support the weight, and it was putting too much stress on the rivets. Putting yourself first in the new year doesn't have to be a challenge, thanks to Talkspace. Using Talkspace feels a little like having a mental health professional in your pocket. Talkspace offers therapy and psychiatry, and being able to reach out to my provider anytime, anywhere, makes taking care of my mental health super easy. Whether I'm working or managing everyday tasks, taking care of my own mental health has never been easier. Working through things in therapy can be tough, but connecting with my therapist isn't. Plus, you can get help with or without insurance. Most insured members only pay $25 copay or less. 
I wholeheartedly recommend Talkspace for therapy. You can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. You can text, video, or send voice messages to your licensed therapist. So it's incredibly convenient to have virtual sessions from the comfort of your home. Talkspace is mental health care that meets you wherever you are. As a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace when you go to Talkspace.com and use code DISASTER. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com and use code DISASTER to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's DISASTER and Talkspace.com. On January 15th, 1919, it was business as usual on the commercial street in the North End neighborhood of Boston. The tank began to rumble, and the sound of gunfire broke out into the afternoon silence as the rivets can no longer hold back the tank's contents. The tank collapsed in a 15-foot-tall, 160-foot-wide wave spread across the North End neighborhood at about 35 miles per hour. People were swept off their feet by the dense syrup that was powerful enough to knock buildings off their foundation, with six buildings being completely destroyed. A one-ton piece of metal from the tank flew out and struck the nearby elevated train track and caused a section to collapse, missing an already passed train by minutes. While there were more than 150 people injured, 20 others died from the flood or the injuries sustained from it. Ralph Martin, age 21, was unloading goods from a wagon when he was knocked down from the explosion. Only two months prior, he had been working further away might have been saved had he remained. 43-year-old Thomas F. Noonan and his 14-year-old son were returning home from South Boston when they were caught in the flood and collecting wreckage. While young Carthage Noonan was later treated for his injuries, Thomas would die in the hospital after being rescued. Flamino Gallarani, age 37, was sitting on his truck once the flood hit. His body wasn't recovered until 11 days after. However, the wreckage of his truck bore testimony for how hard he had been hit. 17-year-old Eric Laird was delivering freight at the time of the explosion. His body was eventually found under a molasses-coated mass of wrecked auto trucks, express boxes, and packages from the freight sled. 64-year-old James Lennon was buried alive while the building he was eating in collapsed atop him. Michael Sinat, age 76, had just returned to work 20 minutes prior and was thrown several feet into a pile of paving stones where he fractured his skull, broke both his legs, and a multitude of other internal injuries. 64-year-old Peter Francis was so unrecognizable from his injuries that he had to be identified by his son by his clothes. He was one of the first victims rescued, but only briefly awoke before losing consciousness and dying. Bridget Clowardy, age 65, had been at home with her daughter and two sons when the flood came and dragged their home from its foundation. While her children survived, she was crushed under the collapsing roof. Her son, Martin, searched for her mother until he was told that she had been found dead under the debris. Clowardy's other son, Stephen, did not die from the flood, 
His family firmly believe that his death later that year, in an insane asylum, was caused from the trauma he experienced when he and his sister were hurled into the street. Cesare Niccolo, age 32, was discovered under the commercial wharf four months after the flood. 18-year-old Peter Shaughnessy had been starting his first day of the job. Despite his molasses-covered wagon and dead horses found two days after the incident, his body was never found. Engine House 31 was built by the tank and a few other firefighters had been playing cards when they first heard the rivets coming apart. 38-year-old George Leahy had reportedly gone to take a nap and had been found near the sliding pole. It had taken his fellow firefighters four hours to dig survivors and Leahy from the wreckage of their station. He was reportedly still warm when they managed to find him. Other victims were William Duffy, 58, John Cyberfitch, 69, Patrick Breen, 44, James H. Kinnelly, William Brogan, 61, James McMullen, 46, and John Callahan, 43. The youngest victims of the Great Molasses Flood of 1919 were Maria D'Astasio and Pascal Lentosca. They were both only 10 years old, much like the students who would learn about the disaster 88 years later. Pascal had been out collecting firewood, and his father watched in horror as the boy was swallowed beneath the dark mass. He searched for hours for his son after everything settled. He wasn't found or identified until mid-January. Maria had been gathering wood as well, and had been found beneath a pile of molasses barrels at the base of the wrecked tank. Sad-hearted workers lifted her bruised little body onto a stretcher and silently bored across North End Park to a waiting ambulance. She and her brother, who had survived, had been returning home for lunch from school. The Boston Post wrote... There was no escape from the wave. Caught, human being and animal alike could not flee. Running in was impossible. Snared in its flood was to be stifled. Once it smeared a head human or animal, there was no coughing of the sticky mass. To attempt to wipe it with hands was to make it worse. Most of those who died, died from suffocation. It plugged nostrils almost airtight. Just as it took for some of the victims' families to find closure for their loved ones, it took months to clean the molasses from the muck. However, prior to that, first aid responders, over a hundred sailors from the Navy ship USS Nantucket, wade through knee-deep settled molasses to help all they could. Even after the streets were cleaned, the smell of molasses clung to the air. The Boston Harbor remained brown until summer, the lawsuit against the United States industrial alcohol took five years to come to an end, with the closing arguments alone taking 11 weeks. While the USIA attempted to blame the explosion on sabotage, it was agreed that it was the fault of the company rather than an outside party. The USIA would pay the victims and their family members $628,000 in damages, around $8 million today. Stephen Puello made this chilling comment in his book, Dark Tide, The Great Boston Molasses Flood of 1919. No prominent people were killed in the molasses flood, and the survivors did not go on to become famous. They were mostly immigrants and city workers who returned to their workday lives. 
recovered from injuries, and provided for their families. As it is with many disasters, a new era of regulation came about due to the negligence of the USIA. The city of Boston began demanding that all engineering projects submit their blueprints to be reviewed by professionals before permits for construction could be issued. City inspectors were required to scrutinize every aspect of the construction process before the facilities could be used. Zoning laws could make sure to separate dangerous industrialized complexes away from dense neighborhoods. Laws that began in Boston quickly spread throughout the rest of the United States, and the individuals and corporations that would have benefited from the rushed jobs for profit would be liable for the deaths of such negligence caused. Although it means nothing to the families who had to watch their loved ones die, at least such deaths might be prevented from happening again. This is Justin, and I hope you enjoyed Disaster this week. Thank you for listening.